Hello everyone, and welcome back to Sprint Race Show, the show where I share my thoughts on what's happening in the world of Formula One. My name is Emma Ridgeway and I will be your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're listening to this episode on a podcasting streaming service, uh, then you'll be hearing this a little bit earlier than on YouTube. Uh, The video will be up on YouTube, uh, but I'm changing the schedule a little bit, so that should be up tomorrow. I'll make sure to put the link to my website below. On my website, you will find links to the podcasts and also to the YouTube series as well all of which are just under Sprint Race Show on all social media platforms. So if you haven't checked them out, then please do. So this was the final round of the triple header, which coming back from a summer break is, well, it's a great way to jump back in, but oh my goodness me, triple headers are exhausting. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to a break next week especially because the triple header that we've had has been so crazy. You know, we started off in Spa with that washout and then obviously we went to Zandvoort and that was just such a massive event, especially for the Dutch fans. And then, of course, Monza, the Temple of Speed, the fastest track on the circuit and one of my favourites as well. I was coming into the weekend really excited and let's say that Monza did not let up, especially after the surprise win of Pierre Gasly last year. I thought, well, maybe we're in for a quiet Monza, apart from qualifying, which I'll get to. But nope, the weekend did not let up at all. And I have quite a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. First up is qualifying. And as I alluded to in last week's episode, I was a little bit concerned about qualifying in Monza because, well, all the cars just tend to queue up. And I don't know why they do it here more than anywhere else. I know they do it a little bit in Baku because they have that really long straight. And of course, the cars just want a slipstream. In Monza, I think the slipstream is apparently worth three tenths, four tenths, which given how close it's been this year, is a significant amount. And that can be the difference between getting pole and not getting pole. I'm not sure what the FIA can do about this, other than maybe give the teams a certain time in which to go out. I mean, I I don't want it to get to that. I just want teams to be a little smarter. Anyway, we just seem to have this every year and this year was no different. But of course, this year we weren't qualifying for the race. We were qualifying for the sprint. So this was the second sprint of the year. First one being Silverstone. And I'm not sure. So firstly, you know that I'm a big fan of the sprints in F2. And in fact, the sprint race that I watched in the F2 in Monza this weekend was excellent. And I think part of it is the ability to overtake, which we know the cars struggle with right now. So I think this will be much better next year, and I think they should keep it, for sure. I also think that it shouldn't affect the actual starting positions of the race. So I do like the idea of the sprint, and I think the final one of the year will be at Interlagos in Brazil, which is, again, one of my favourite tracks. It's so good for overtaking, and we didn't get to go there last year. So it'll be amazing to go back to Brazil with a sprint race. 
but I think it will get better next year. I know that Ross Braun was saying how they're looking to continuously improve the sprint, which I think is great. So yeah, I'm all for it, but maybe this year it's a new system and could do with a little bit of work. For example, I think Hamilton spent 18 laps behind Lando Norris. And actually, that's what happened in the normal race as well. So uh, the difference being, and I think this is actually a good thing for the sprint race, is that it kind of shows you where you might go wrong in the race. For example, had we not had the sprint race, I think Mercedes would have started Lewis or tried to start Lewis on the medium tyre. Obviously, because of the sprint race, the team's got a free tyre choice. And so Mercedes started both of their drivers, Bottas, who won the sprint race, but had to take a new engine, so started from the back, and Hamilton, who I think was P4 yesterday, on the hard tyre. Everyone else around him was on the medium. So I think this was a surprise to everyone, but the reason they did that was because I think they wanted to try and get past Norris again. Having spent 18 laps behind Norris on the sprint race, I think they realised that unless they had a tyre that could outlast Norris, they were just going to be stuck there again. And that was the right call. It took Hamilton a while in the race, but he did eventually get past Norris on track, which he couldn't do in the sprint. Obviously, we missed it on the TV coverage because we were too busy watching Verstappen's dreadful pit stop. I think it was over 11 seconds and I saw on uh, Ted's notebook on Sky Sports, he explained what happened. He said that the new regulations for pit stops mean that the engineers have to press a physical button, which unfortunately, in the case of Verstappen's pit stop, one of the mechanics didn't press it. So just human error. And obviously it's a bit of a, a change from the automated system that was in place, what, a few weeks ago now. But ultimately, that late pit stop had a bit of a butterfly effect because it meant when Hamilton came out, who also had a slower than normal pit stop, he came out right next to Max Verstappen. And well, we all know what happened next. And I'm sure you want to know what I think about it. I've thought about it a lot. The first thing that frustrated me about this crash yesterday was Twitter. And I've said this before, but I think there's this real war going on right now, which to me feels completely unnecessary. For example, I saw the word deserved trending on Twitter. And of course, this was full of people going and actually echoing what Max said on the radio after he crashed. That's what you get. I know that Max said that's what you get for not leaving enough space, but again, it feels like people who idolise these drivers take their words and use it in ways that are not very nice. I really dislike that, and as a fan, I hope that the community gets better at this. No driver deserves to crash. No driver deserves to get injured, to have a collision, to put their life in danger. No driver deserves that. But what about the incident itself? Well, again, there seems to be a bit of a a divide. My opinion was that Max was extremely frustrated coming out of the pit stop, and rightly so. He was so angry that when he got on the radio, he basically just said, leave me alone, don't talk to me. And I think when he saw Hamilton coming out of the pits, he thought, that's my main rival in this championship. That is the one guy who can beat me. And I think to some extent, that took over. And I think he misjudged it. 
Now, that doesn't mean that he deserves to crash out. That doesn't mean that he deserves to be injured, that he deserves to go to hospital, that he deserves to have his championship reduced in points or to lose out. He doesn't deserve that and neither does Lewis. And I, I remember speaking about this just after Silverstone as well. I think being completely uncompromising doesn't make you the best driver and I think compromising doesn't make you a weak driver either. Backing off doesn't mean that you've given up. It means that you're going to try again, maybe at a better opportunity. It's not always as clear as to when that might be, but I think it's more about long-term thinking. I think that Max will be world champion one day, whether it be this year, next year, or in the future. But I think he will be a much more all-rounded driver if he thinks a bit further ahead. I saw a lot online about the penalty that Verstappen received. And again, this seemed to set the internet off in a, in a really horrible way. Verstappen got a three-place grid penalty. Hamilton in Silverstone got a 10-second penalty. And the three-place grid penalty seems to be coming off as severely harsh in comparison. I think the reality is you can't punish someone with a 10-second penalty if they didn't finish the race. So. I think the predominantly at fault thing is causing a little bit of confusion. Even during racing incidents, there is always someone who is slightly more at fault. I rarely see a racing incident that is exactly 50-50. And so is, is that it? Unless it's exactly 50-50, is it going to be a predominantly at fault thing and someone gets a penalty? I think that the three-place penalty for Verstappen was very harsh. But I also think that the 10 second penalty for Hamilton was very harsh. And actually, for people who campaigned for Hamilton to get a penalty, or who wanted Hamilton to get a penalty in Silverstone, that has now had an effect. Because this predominantly at fault thing stemmed from that incident, which to me was a racing incident. And had that incident in Silverstone being a racing incident, I think Monza would have been determined as a racing incident. But the FAA now have to be consistent. Whether I agree with it or not, that is now the way. And to be honest, if they continue to be consistent, even if I think it's a racing incident, I'm going to have to be happy with that. Because I would rather them be consistent, even if I disagree with what they're actually doing. Strange, I know, and to be honest, I will be interested to see what determines as an actual racing incident in the future. I think there was no doubt that the halo played a huge part yesterday as well. So, I mean, we've seen it a few times now. We saw it with Alonso and Leclerc a few years ago uh, when Alonso went over the top of Leclerc. We obviously saw it with Roman Grosjean last year, who probably would be dead without the halo. And again, we've seen it here. I think there was a really horrific image of the back right wheel of Verstappen clipping Lewis's head. And obviously that would have been significantly worse had the halo not been there. And actually Mercedes released a video from when they first introduced the halo in 2018. And it was uh, James Allison, their chief technical officer, who was explaining uh, how strong it is. And I think he said that it can hold the weight of a double-decker bus or the equivalent of a double-decker bus on top of the halo before it breaks, which is amazing. 
So with the drama involving Verstappen and Hamilton, obviously that meant that there was a pretty clear path for the McLarens, who were already out in front anyway, with Ricardo's amazing start. Norris was obviously in front of Verstappen and Lewis anyway, and drove off before their crash happened. And yeah, they came home with the win. Safe to say that McLaren have been on a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, do you remember the days when Alonso was calling out Honda for being dreadful? They put so much blame on that Honda for many years, saying how it was essentially holding them up. And then obviously they ditched Honda and turns out the car was pretty shocking too. They've had a lot of rebuilding to do. They seem like a good team. They seem like a, a new team. And I think they'll continue to do well. They clearly have a lot of support as well. I know that Ted was looking for the Daniel Ricciardo cap, official cap for the weekend. And so they seem to have conquered the merchandise market, which I think formerly belonged to Red Bull. They're very active on social media and do really well with their TikToks and their Instagram. They just have a really good advertising package, which I think is what Zach Brown has brought to the team. He's clearly a great salesperson and has brought in a lot of sponsorships, but knows how to market the team. And by marketing the team, he's brought in the best talent. He's brought in good drivers and one of them brought home their win today. Good for them. I'm happy for Daniel Ricciardo. He really deserves a win. His first since leaving Red Bull and has had to go on a bit of a journey to get it. He openly admitted that this period of not succeeding has meant that he's learned a lot about himself. And as a driver, I think adversity does make you better. I was thinking a lot about the crash between Verstappen and Hamilton and I said, you know, it doesn't make you the best driver just being uncompromising. When Ricardo left Red Bull, he was compromising massively. He was leaving a winning team in favour of building another one, which in the long term would have been better for him. And it's worked out. He's in a team that he clearly loves, gets on well with his teammates, his engineers. All rounded, he looks like a much happier person. And he took a deliberate compromise to get there. And so to some extent, I feel like Max may have to do this at some point. I'm not saying he needs to move out the way for Lewis Hamilton, but I'm saying that if you back out of that one corner with the long-term view that you're going to get him in the next one, or even the next lap, that makes you a better driver if you think that the option is, I get him later, or I just crash into him here. I love Daniel Ricciardo's attitude. I think it shows that hard work and graft and patience pays off in the long term. So I'm super happy for Daniel Ricciardo and for McLaren as well. They've done really, really well this season. Final thing I will touch on before I go is the announcements that we've all probably moved on from now that George Russell is going to Mercedes. You may remember that I did a podcast episode about this back in June and it's now September. So Thank you, Mercedes, for dragging this out for as long as you could. Uh, I think you set the record for the most predictable driver move in history. And obviously, whilst I am delighted for George Russell, this has also meant that we see the return of Alex Albon, who is leaving the Red Bull reserve driver role to go to Williams. 
I think when he was asked about it in the interview, Russell admitted that you know he he said that Alex is a good driver and that he should be uh, thought of in this role. I would agree. I think that Alex was really underrated when he was in Formula One, especially compared to Sergio Perez this year, who I think is an amazing driver. I think he's one of the best on the grid, but he is struggling against Max Verstappen. And I think that is what happens in one single season at Red Bull. You are up against one of the best drivers. And so your performance will always be compared to that. Is that fair? I'm not sure. But I think Alex deserved a second full season at Red Bull, which he didn't get, and has basically spent most of this year recreating Verstappen crashes, which is a tough job. So looking forward to seeing him back in Formula One next year. So we have a one week gap now until the next race in Sochi. Sochi is, uh, how do I say this nicely? Probably my least favorite track of the year. I'm sorry to Valtteri Bottas because I know that this is his favorite track. I don't know if it's actually his favorite track, but he does really well in Sochi as he did really well in Monza. But I just find the circuit not that exciting. I am all for the weekend proving me wrong, by the way. I remember saying this, I think, in Baku. And in Baku, we had that drama around the tyres, which, uh, again, was just so crazy. So I'm very happy to be proven wrong. In fact, I am asking Sochi, please give me a good race to enjoy. And then afterwards, I think it's Turkey. Forgive me for not knowing the entire schedule. It keeps changing. So, But I believe we go to Sochi next and then to Turkey. But we don't have many races left. I think we have eight more. And so it's really going to go down to the wire between Verstappen and Hamilton. And I can't wait. So until next time, thank you very much for tuning in. <laughs>